0: Radioinfluence.com. The future is now. As the summer sports get underway and the winter sports head into their off-season, we've been getting a lot of questions coming in revolving around the concept of specialization in sport. So today, we're going to kick off a conversation looking at specialization, the pros, the cons, what exactly is it, and is it as bad as it's made out to be? And then we're going to visit with Crush favorite Rick Carrier, former Senior Director of Player Development for the Edmonton Oilers, about player development, coaching development, and capitalizing on your off-season. It's a jam-packed show of Crush Performance, Roll that intro.
1: You're listening to Crush Performance with the Crusher Jeff Crushell.
0: Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 101260 with your questions, comments, or smart ass remarks. everybody welcome 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 to crush performance i am jeff kerschel and we are your weekly source for performance information what a glorious time of the year it is in the world of sport there is so much going on so much to talk about if you want to talk to us reach out jeff is the website you can find the email links there follow me on twitter at jeff crush and on all of the social media platforms search out crush performance and we can connect there as well So, there is a lot to get to today. We're going to have a fantastic conversation coming up with Mr. Rick Carrier, as I mentioned. But before we go there, there has been a lot of emails, questions, and comments coming in revolving around the idea of specialization. And I don't know if this comes out of a presentation I did from a couple weeks back where I really, really dove into the idea of specialization, but I thought this would be a great time to address it. Look... We've got all of the summer sports well underway now. All the winter sports are heading into their off season. So there's lots going on on both sides of the sporting world right now. But the conversation revolving around specialization rolls on. And I'm actually quite surprised at the number of emails and comments we've got asking about this very, very topic. I think it has to do with that presentation I did online there a few weeks ago. I've also lectured a couple of times here in the last couple of months to organizations. That might have something to do with it as well. And basically what I'm presenting out there, for those of you who haven't heard that uh, conversation uh, live in person or through one of our video web chats, um, it sort of just revolves around this idea of what specialization is and is it actually as bad as it's made out to be? You know, if you look in the sporting world and the conversations that go around the ballparks and the skating rinks and the courts, in the gymnasiums the conversations revolving around specialization are quite negative and i think people are starting to understand that maybe it's not quite as good as it might seem to be with the greatest of intentions doesn't it kind of make sense to take an athlete who loves a sport regardless of what age they are let's say the young grassroots developing athletes you know 9 10 11 12 or even earlier you know we are hearing specialization at 8 nine years of age, sometimes five and six, and that's the only sport they play, right? Well, it kind of makes sense to put them into one sport and give them every opportunity to get great at that sport. Private lessons, travel teams, multiple teams, school academies, whatever, whatever the gig is, whatever's going on out there is probably too much. <laughs> We're seeing a lot of downside to all of that. But the conversation around specialization is something that's quite unique and special. Because it's gotten quite a bad rap. Well, if you really break it down and understand what it is, um, there are kind of two sides to this story as well. One, specialization and early specialization is sort of classified as playing one sport for more than eight months of a year. It's been found in some of the research that athletes that do participate in a particular sport for more than eight months of the year report more injuries, dropout rates, anxiety, all kinds of things that are associated with just doing one thing and all the pressures in one lane. On the other side, and then when it comes to early specialization, it's kind of defined as specializing in one particular sport before the age of 12. Some research will say the age of 10. But I think the age of 12 is probably pushing the limit. Anything earlier than that is risky business, in my opinion, for a number of reasons. Again, that injuries and dropout rates that we're seeing um, certainly are part of that conversation. And we're seeing it in every single sport. You know, in basketball, there was a great, great article in Sports Illustrated that revolved around this idea of the ticking time bomb of youth basketball. They're seeing injuries in young basketball players, 14, 15, 16 years of age, that they never have seen before. As a matter of fact, they haven't seen them outside of pro players in their mid to late 20s and early 30s. They're now seeing these injuries and overuse injuries that are associated with long, high-performance careers in our youth. And it's just sort of a reflection of maybe the downside of not just the specialization in a particular sport, but the pressure to compete at a high, high level all year long. So early specialization is kind of before the age of 12. Some research says 10 again, but I think anything earlier than that is kind of risky business. And specialization itself is focusing on one sport for more than eight months a year. So where are we at with our understanding? I think there are, again, two sides to this story. One, specialization. There is a downside to it. We know and we've seen it. If it's mismanaged, if all you're doing is just playing sport and competing, you're in trouble. Your young athlete is in grave, grave danger to the point that we're seeing these epic dropout rates, burnout rates, anxiety levels, and the injury rates on a more serious note in terms of Surgeries and orthopedic surgeries are at an all-time high, very associated with the idea of early specialization. But mismanaged early specialization, I like to throw that clarification out there because it really hasn't been talked about. There are a number of reasons that an athlete may have to specialize. Maybe, number one, in a community you live in, there aren't a lot of options to play sport or different sports. Maybe it's a really narrow focus in your community. So you're only involved in a particular sport. Or maybe, you know, you're in a family of two, three, four, five kids, and it's just not logistically possible to have multiple kids playing multiple sports for time reasons, just getting them to practices and games, number one. But two, also the financial model that's now associated with youth sport is through the roof. It's getting to the point where some sport, most sports, man, it's almost getting out of reach for a lot of people. So there are reasons that people may specialize in one sport. Here's the good news for those people. If it's managed properly, right, year-round, you can really offset some of the dangers of just competing and playing a particular sport. And that comes back to this whole idea of athlete development, preparing your athletes for the game. If your athlete's only playing one sport, for example, you had better make sure the off-season activities, whether they're structured or not, are really geared to preparing your player for that sport. And strength and conditioning could be part of that. Athletic development could be part of that. Hiring a strength coach, not necessarily to get into the weight room and even lift weights, but hiring a strength coach or getting them on a track team where they can learn how to move properly and do things that not only help balance the body outside of the sport they play, but also gets them ready in so many different ways for the sport they do play. So there are reasons that athletes specialize. If you have an athlete that just loves a sport and doesn't want to do anything else, we don't discourage them from not playing that sport. We just make sure that it's safe, that they take time over the course of the year to get ready for the sport they love. Right? So there's lots of reasons specialization happens. It has to be handled properly. But what are the benefits of being a multi-sport athlete? Well, I could tell you this right now. I think in the literature and the science, There is a huge consensus that if you can manage it, if you can get out there and play and sample multiple sports, especially through those early developmental years, it is without question of benefit for a number of reasons. One, you know, there's this thing called talent transfer, where some of the things you learn in one particular sport could transfer over and usually do transfer over and give you a perspective in your main sport or the sport you choose to pursue, right? There's a lot of crossover. And then the other thing is, To diversify and sample as many sports as possible can give a young athlete a perspective into what sport they actually want to pursue or what kind of sport they actually love. Well, we know there's a genetic trait here, right? If you're predominantly slow twitch fibers and have a nervous system set up for that kind of activity, slower, long distance type activity, you're not going to be a power athlete. It's just not going to happen. But if you're uh, wired for speed and power, You're probably not going to have a lot of success at a endurance, long duration, slow tempo type sport. You're going to be genetically kind of hardwired for a particular genre of activities, power and speed, endurance, longevity, power, strength, whatever it might be. Sampling different sports gives you an idea of physically what sports you're going to be good at. Again, we don't really like to narrow that field until athletes have gone through that growth curve when they're 15, 16, 17 years of age. And so sampling early on could be very beneficial that way, but also individual sport versus a team sport. What if your young athlete only ever gets to experience team sports, but they're really, really wired for an individual sport, like maybe a racket sport like tennis, squash or badminton, or maybe a game like golf right i mean there are these options out there that if a kid never gets to sample them they'll never know can you imagine if tom brady never threw a football can you imagine if tiger woods never picked up a club doesn't mean they wouldn't have been great athletes they might have been great athletes somewhere else but but they would not be in the sports that they're in they were in those sports uh, because they had the chance to play them right and that's why sampling in multi sport has a benefit Not only that, when you look at the numbers, when you look at the hard numbers, there are trends here that cannot be ignored. In 2019, published in the Orthopedic Journal of Sports Medicine, there is a research study done on the analysis of sports specialization in the NCAA. They looked at all NCAA players, tried to figure out, hey, where do they come from? What do they do as youth athletes? Well, 94.7% of all NCAA athletes in 2019 were multi-sport athletes. Ninety four point seven. Forty five percent of those played multiple sports up to the age of 16. And for the team athletes, they specialized at 15 and a half years. Individual sports, the athletes specialized around 14 years of age. Only 17.4 percent of the athletes specialized at the age of 12 or younger. There is a story in those numbers and it doesn't end there. Urban Meyer. Posted a list of his recruiting class for one year. I think it was 2018 or 2017. Either way, 47 recruits in his football program that year. 42 of them were multi-sport athletes in high school. Only five of the Ohio State recruits were football-only athletes in high school. In the NFL, if you look at the draft, 2018, 2019, 29 of the 32 players in the first round were multi-sport athletes. In 2017 and 2021, 30 of the 32. And in the 2022 NFL draft, if you look at the entire draft class, 88.9% were multi-sport athletes in school. Same story in the NHL, same story in soccer, same story in Major League Baseball. Very few athletes at the top were specialized athletes. And that's the story that we're seeing out of the data right now. So if you are... For whatever reason, a specialized athlete, don't fret. Just make sure that you handle it properly because there's opportunities there. If you are a multi-sport athlete, excellent. Get out there, try all those sports, and then you know, let the ebb and flow and the decision-making take place because the numbers don't lie. Okay, we're way over time here. We have a great conversation coming up with crush favorite Rick Carrier, former senior director of player development for the Edmonton Oilers. Listen, as the hockey players go into the off season, it is a crucial, crucial time at every single age group. But this story goes well, well beyond the game of hockey. What should you be addressing? in the off season and what should your attitude be when it comes to your development we've got a great discussion coming up with an expert in player and coaching development right after this on crush performance stick around everybody it's going to be a great conversation
1: you're listening to crush performance your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information get the crush blogs podcasts and performance links at crushperformance.com now back to the show
0: Welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. Questions, comments, smart remarks, get them to us. Info at Crush Performance is the email. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Crush. And on all other social media platforms, search out Crush Performance and we can hook up there for sure. Listen, if you need some help with your program or you're not sure where you're at or where you're going, let us know. We answer every single message that we get. That's a promise. If We don't have the answers. I can tell you right now we have somebody in our network. That we'll have that answer and we'll go to bat for you guys and make sure that we send you down the right path. If you have a topic you'd like us to investigate, and, and you guys have sent in some doozies, today's no exception, talking specialization in sport. Such an important conversation. But we've dedicated segments, even entire episodes, to your ideas. So keep them coming. Again, get to us, info at crushperformance.com. All right, without further ado, let's get to it. We're joined now by Crush Favorite. Mr. Rick Carrier, who is former senior director of player development for the Edmonton Oilers, just got back from a great stint over in Japan, helping them with their player development and coaching development programs for their U-20 and their national team program in the game of hockey. He's also an instructor and coach at the Vimy Ridge Academy. Rick Carrier, welcome back to Crush Performance, my friend.
1: So glad you could join us. Thanks, Jeff. Really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you again.
0: Well, hey, I'm always very intrigued by the international a world of sport. You know, when I stepped away from the blue Jays, I immediately got asked to sort of take over and help out with major league baseball's global player development program. And man, I'm telling you what that opened my eyes to a new world of challenges and just being flexible and getting things done where sport, especially baseball, wasn't a major sport. I'm really, really intrigued to hear about your experiences over in Japan. Cause it's not a country you'd think of as a major hockey country.
1: Well, no, and and I think it's it's interesting you say that. I, I I was there in 1990 to 1992, and I coached a club team in the Japan Hockey League, and uh, I I didn't really get a chance to to see the the younger players. I just saw that the players that would be in there were called the pro league then. But uh, with in this opportunity, I've just had the last year and a half here, kind of worked with the senior men's team and the under twenty team, and. Had some uh, some opportunities to watch high school hockey and university hockey, and and then again with the national team program where the players all come from the Asia League, the older guys. But it, it's a it's an incredible work ethic and passion for the game that, uh, that I don't think a lot of people realize that uh, that the the Japan hockey culture has.
0: Yeah. Well, listen,
1: you you the great thing about and I'm really
0: excited to talk to you about this, Rick is because of your experience in the game. I mean, as a player, As a coach, you coach with some of the hockey greats, Claire Drake, Billy Moore, Perry Pern. You're also involved with the Edmonton Oilers player development program for a good number of years, great number of years. And you're also involved in the uh, Western Hockey League as well. So your perspective on player performance and player development is unmatched out there. I'm really intrigued to get your impressions of of the developmental process over in Japan and where they're at in the big scheme of things.
1: Well, it did. it's It's funny like I think the i think probably the best opportunity that the Japanese players have comes when they're in junior high and high school you know they're they're living at home they're in school it's very regimented and uh there's some there are some very good coaches there and when they move into university they move away from home most of the university league is is centered around in the tokyo area uh, with all the big schools and that that have hockey and then but a lot of the the high school junior hockey is more in, in Hokkaido, and there's some in the, the 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 north part of the the Honshu, or the main island. But uh, some of the players drop off a little bit in university, and so they're they're the ones that sort of, they don't really have an opportunity to continue their development that they had in high school. But they the 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 high school player and the university player, the players I worked with the national team, they have endless work ethic. Like. They are completely in tune with the details of the game. Not, you know, the, the, the big challenges are, are kind of coaching the uncoachable things almost, like the, the, the sense and the, the gamesmanship and some of the things that happen within the game. And but you try and develop that slowly through small area games and different things like that that we've learned long lot
0: Well, Rick, we've seen the Japanese uh, contribute and uh, take over and have a very, very strong presence in the baseball world. I mean, their league there is only maybe rivaled by Major League Baseball. It is serious, serious business over there. Hockey, though, um, when those kids are done playing college school or whether they're young junior players, are they looking to get to the national team or are they looking to play in Europe or are there NHL aspirations over there from those players?
1: Well, I'm not sure. I I don't know if they have NHL aspirations. I don't I, yet. I I would hope that maybe through, you know, their continued growth here and, and development, that at some point they might have, maybe we might get a Japanese player drafted. Uh, you know, out of the uh, high school leagues, or, but that would certainly bring a lot more uh, uh, focus and and attention to hockey in Japan. Right now, so much of the focus is on the women's team because they play in the Olympics and in the World Championships. And the men's uh, men's teams don't don't have that exposure right now, but yeah, the um, the uh, uh, players that uh, I, I think that are 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 kind of developing the best are like I said, like in, in high school and that 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 have an opportunity. I like think they see the Asia League as a, as a kind of a goal that they want to play in. But like a lot of the guys that are in in, in junior high and, and first year high school, like there's a lot that are playing here in North America, in different leagues like. On our under twenty team, we had two players from the U.S. Chill, two from the North American Hockey League, uh, one that played uh, at a prep school in Ontario, and another one that, and two more that played out east in a, a like an Eastern uh, U.S. Junior League. And then with our national senior team, we had uh, an American League player, uh, we had uh, two East Coast League players, uh, a university player from Carlton, one from Bentley University, NCAA. And uh, we have an up-and-coming goalie from one of the academies here in uh, in Canada. So yeah, they, they, I think a lot of them, they, they try to move into North America and try and fast-track their development a little bit. So it's very possible that one of those players might get an opportunity one day to you know, maybe get drafted or uh, or uh, even get an NHL lineup.
0: Oh, great stuff. We're talking with Rick Carrier, teacher-instructor at Vimy Ridge Academy, uh, formerly just with the Japan uh, national hockey teams and, of course, a storied hockey history here in Canada, Rick, you know, um, that's really interesting. That pipeline seems like it's growing. We're going to have to watch that with great interest. Actually, I'm onto it now. You just put me onto it. I love this stuff. (laughs) I'm wondering if those pipelines, these kids coming over to get a little taste of the North American model, they'll go back, they'll share those ideas. And then the developmental wheels just keep turning and maybe accelerate a little bit. So that's really interesting to know. I didn't realize there were that many younger players over here competing.
1: Yeah, you know what, and and I think there's there's we're we're that's one of the goals here, and and one of the things that I'm looking at trying to is get opportunities for more and more Japanese players to come over here, and and you know it's a financial hit for the families and that the federation puts in a little bit of money, but I think if if a player is really serious about his development, I you know we try and encourage him to look for opportunities in North America.
0: Well, you talk about the culture there. Now, it's it's on my bucket list. Listen, I've heard the stories. I know players who've been over there in virtually every sport. I know coaches who've gone over there to coach. And everybody to the man and woman love it. I mean, it's just such an incredible place, especially it seems in the sporting world. And it seems like they've really got it together. You went over there originally as the director of coaching for their hockey, which is just so smart. We know the key to athlete and player development is really, really uh, on the coach's shoulders. So I love that move that they had you over there working with their coaches.
1: Well, yeah, exactly, Jeff. I think if you want to reach more, you got to reach the coaches and uh one of the things we did after last summer's camp when we, we first covid lifted and we could go over and actually have a physical camp is uh we brought in all a bunch of the high school coaches and university coaches to uh you know to, to watch and observe our our national team camps with the under twenty and with the senior team and uh take part in the camp and we did a lot of work with those coaches we passed on a lot, Everything I've learned from Billy Moore as a, player, as a player and as a player development director, through you know, good habits and tactics and skills, we pass along so much of that information to the coaches, and and you just hope that it'll trickle down and they'll be able to implement that in 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 their in their with their teams and and with their players, and that eventually it'll will will reach more and more players uh, with with those camps.
0: Yeah, it makes so much sense, Rick. And I, I love that perspective, right? You know, the idea of educating the coaches, because that's really where you're going to make the impact for sure. Well, here in North America, we're heading into the offseason. The NHL playoffs roll on and everybody in the hockey world's watching with great interest. But for the majority of hockey players here, they're heading into the offseason from grassroots right up to our junior players and the NHL guys who didn't make the postseason it's a really really important time hey maybe we could talk about the different levels here and approaches from from the perspective of of maybe age groups like like let's maybe talk like under 15s and maybe grassroots kids i mean there's such a push rick to play this game year round right now and we know that's backfired time and time and time again any advice for the hockey families out there with young players in the game? You know, with in your time with the in the in the NHL and the WHL and at the elite levels, but also at the grassroots levels, what would be your message to families who are you know passionate about hockey or have athletes passionate about hockey as they head into the off season here as as U fifteen players and younger?
1: Well, I, I think the, the the overall, I guess, the idea, and if you talk to any elite coach, is that is that if you're if you're if your son or daughter is a good player, they'll be discovered and they'll get every opportunity. It doesn't matter if they play hockey for twelve months a year or eight months of the year but i i think I think athletes that are at the highest level and elite athletes I think they need a mental break sometimes from the game I think when when you push and push and push and push and you don't get a break from the rink and you know you're putting your gear on every day and you're going to the rink and you're competing. Uh, it, it's great at certain to a certain point, but I think there's opportunities for you to get out and like grab a tennis rack at a golf club, baseball, that, play some rugby, get a soccer ball going. Like even if you're just playing with a group of friends, just to get a mental break and kind of reconnect with, with your lifelong friends. I think it's important to get a break from, from the actual game itself, but I don't think you, you, you want to take a long break for preparation for the game the physical part of it and the mental part of it. Like the one thing that, 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 um, I was so impressed with, with our, with our, our Japanese teams is how incredibly fit they are. Like we ran teams out of the rink and, and we got where we were because we put so much pressure on them. Like we weren't big and, and we weren't as strong, but we were fast. Even our senior team, like we took some of those, those teams like Ukraine and, and Poland and Estonia and some of the ones that had players, KHL players and players that play in the Czech league and elite leagues in Europe. And we pushed them right to the brink and we pushed them with our speed and puck pressure and puck pursuit. And we just, we, we just, we were so fit that we kept it up for 60 minutes and uh, eventually it was good. And that went right. Same. We had the same philosophy with our under 20 team. We just had those guys going as fast as they could and just getting pucks behind D and, putting pressure on them. We just said the third period, it's going to pay off for us. So all that fitness and all the preparation that you do in the off season really pays off when you get into like, you know, February, March, like you can't train hard in February and March, but you can train hard in the summer.
0: Oh, it's such a strong message. I think that is such an important conversation right there. Preparation for the game, right? I mean, it's something that we have, Maybe gotten away from here in North America. We spend so much time on the technical, tactical side. I really think we've lost touch of actually preparing players for the game. And that's that physical conditioning. I mean, just think about recovery alone in the game of hockey, you know, that cardiovascular base that you build yep. during the off season, it will ride you right through the entire season. And then also that strength work and the speed work that you mentioned can really, really pay off. So, so I think that's a real strong message, especially for the younger players. Yeah.
1: You know, those are things you can't do in February, and March, when you're getting in ready for the playoffs, you can't do a lot of strength and heavy, heavy training. But that stuff is the stuff that's going to make you faster and and you're you're going to be faster and stronger from the work that you put into the offseason. That's the investment that you make as a player. Yeah, Rick, I
0: really like that perspective of investment because that's exactly what it is. You're investing in your future performance. But here's the thing. You have to make sure you're making the right investment at the right time and it all comes down to where you're at and what your current needs are it's a long game there's no question all right we have to cut out for a quick break when we come back we're going to continue our discussion on how you can maximize your off season. we'll also talk more player development and coaching development with crush favorite Rick Carrier right after this stick around everybody
1: What it takes to be a top performer. Get the Crush blog, podcast and newsletter at CrushPerformance.com. Now back to the show.
0: Welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Grishel. Thanks for tuning in today, everyone. As we talk player development, maximizing your offseason with Crush favorite Rick Carrier, former senior director of player development for the Edmonton Oilers. Rick just got done an unbelievable stint over in Japan, helping direct their player development programs and also their coaching development programs. And Rick, we were just talking about this whole idea of simplicity and keeping it simple. It's such an important message, right? I remember we had you out one time uh, talking to the players uh, for link management. It's a great group of young, talented players. And the thing I love about those guys and that type of environment is you have players who have decided to take that high performance route in a particular sport. In this case, hockey. These are great hockey players, age 15, right up to the pro guys. And the messages you sent there are, were just really, really powerful. But the one thing that really struck me was the simplicity of the message with everything that we know now and all of the data and technology. I was really, really taken back at the simplicity of your message, but more so how powerful it was. And afterwards, how it resonated with the players. It was really, really powerful stuff.
1: Well, I, I'm a pretty basic guy. But,
0: uh, <laughs> well, hey, I, listen, man, there's, there's a think, power yeah, in those but, words,
1: yeah. Yeah, but I do think that, that the simplicity and the basicness of it is going to be the foundation for, for what, you, what you build on. I think if we get too complicated and we get too much structure, I think sometimes like we, we get away from the uh, the athleticism. And mm-hmm. like, players have to develop that, and they develop that through different ways, like, some of it's just hockey, but some of it's like, like I said before, picking up a different sport, but regardless of what you're doing, like you got to pay attention to your body and what your body's needs are. And you, you've got to have that, that good summer off or whatever your, your sport is your off season training has to be a well um, coordinated, well structured, well scheduled. So you're going to get the optimum amount of, of, of uh, strength and, and, and speed over, over the off season.
0: It's also a time you can actually get on the ice and maybe attack very specific things as well. Not at an intense level, but it's a great time for learning and mastering the craft as well. Right,
1: Rick? Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's the time when there's nothing on the line. You know, there's no wins and losses. You know, you're not going to get cut or, or make the team or get cut from the team in the summertime. So, you know, there's, there's all kinds of time to try new things and try different things on the ice. And, you know, with, with, with skating for sure. Now it's such a focus and, and, and I was able to, I, I saw with their Japanese team who I think we caught every team by surprise. There's not a team that we played that the coach didn't come to me after and just said, wow, that was incredible. Like I've never seen teams play that fast for that long in a game at this level. So, so it was, it was good, but I, I, I think that's, uh, I think that that's where, where you, you've got to strive for is to strive for improvement of your speed and quickness and then your, 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 overall strength. But the bottom line is at the end of the day, if you don't compete hard, none of that really matters.
0: Oh, true enough. And that's that conversation you mentioned kind of earlier, uh, that idea yeah. of these intangible type qualities that that have to be sort of maybe um, part of the fabric of the culture of development. Right. And, and maybe that's something we've gotten away from a little bit.
1: Well, it is. And I think and I had an opportunity to coach some small players and uh and medicine had i don't know if you remember our back in the day we had a couple more cup runs there and we had chris russell on defense and he was as good and as powerful as any six foot three six foot four guy in that league at the time and we did not discriminate on size and Evan, i haven't had an opportunity here to coach a lot of like we had some big guys mind you but most of them were smaller and you had to, they had to be convinced that you know what you're going to keep showing up to the battle show up show up and be relentless. And they started to get some success, and you wear you wear the bigger guys down. So the smaller guy out there has got to be fast. He's got to be competitive. Just mm-hmm. sorry, he's got to be competitive, and uh, and have to do it.
0: Hey, Rick, that comes back to that conversation that you and I've had in the past that I've really appreciated is about, you know, knowing your strengths and really, really harnessing and embracing your strengths, right? You're a smaller player. You got to play the game a little different. It doesn't mean you can't be valuable or as valuable or maybe the most valuable. You just got to make sure you understand what your role is and how to master that
1: craft. Absolutely. You like the smaller player, you got to be in and out of the battle quick. Like you can't afford to get stuck along the boards. And uh, it's like, you got to beat your guy off the wall all the time. And if you do that, you know, you put the bigger player in, in a, in a at a disadvantage.
0: Yeah. Hey, Rick, and I think there's opportunity now, even at the NHL level, you look at the the way the game is changing. There's a lot of those guys in the league right now. So putting together a team now, is certainly a work of art. It always has been, but maybe it's more complex today than it ever has been in the past, because the way the game is changing in terms of physicality and, and the way uh, players are interacting on the ice, but also it's created opportunities for all different kinds of players.
1: Well, and I think that, yeah, exactly. And I I think going back to the, what I think the the rudimentary assets are for, for uh, a certainly you got to have the physical attributes. You got to be able to skate and handle the puck and make place, but you got to have, you got to compete. And the other thing, the other lying uh, um, uh, I guess, uh, asset to have is high level of character. Like if you, you can compete, but when you, if you stop competing when it gets hard and you're allowed to like give up along the way, like you won't be there in the end. Like, You've got to be able to sustain that for an incredibly long period of time. And it's, and it's, it's discipline that gets you there. So message to young guys, develop character, like be accountable to yourselves, be accountable to your teammates, be accountable to your parents and work hard and to, to, to improve all your physical attributes Like get in shape and compete hard with all that stuff. And you'll get opportunities.
0: Yeah. And Rick, it's safe to say too, would you agree with us? If I were to say that that is a skill that can be taught and learned just like any other type of skill.
1: Absolutely. You know what? And uh, <laughs> so, so, Adversity builds character. So the longer you live, the more adversity you get. So I guess I've, I've, been, I've had my share. Like I went through some <laughs> some tough times in hockey and that and, and things like that. But you know what? You persevere. Tomorrow's a new day. You get through today, and uh you know what, and if you learn from today, you'll be better tomorrow,
0: yeah, great, well, hey, what if I said, Rick, you're one hell of a character, man <laughs> <laughs> that would that would be that would be true, uh-huh. <laughs> hey, in more ways than one that's a great uh-huh, perspective, thanks. oh no, that's a great perspective, you do, you live and learn for sure, and you got to harness yeah. and work with that, and that maybe brings me to where the last point I really wanted to get with you, Rick, here, as we head into the hockey off season. You know, it is a long game, right? Not all players develop at the same rate. And you might not be ready right now, but don't give up on it, man, because we don't know when those players can break through. And I know you've seen this in your career, you know, working with player development at every level of the game.
1: Well, and that's what you try and the, the message you try and tell parents and players, is like, stay in it. Like, You don't know, like, where are you going to be next year? Like, and I mean, we all know the growth and development model where we see, like, Two kids in peewee hockey. One's six foot one. The other one's five foot six, and they're the same age. And players are going to develop differently, just mentally, like they will physically. But if you take yourself out of the game too soon, like you don't know how far you're going to get to. There's always the there's stories of late developing guys, you know. And you got you get the Bantam draft coming up right now in the Western League. Like there's guys that are setting their hearts on this thing, and I can I can probably find. Ten or fifteen names that have come through Medicine Hat of players that didn't get drafted. They got pro opportunities, and some in the NHL. And it's not because like you're not. It's how good you are when you're there. Not so much right now.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly right. That is a powerful, powerful message for players to really understand, and parents of players to understand. You know, and that the idea of the Bantam Draft, love it or hate it, whatever your position is on the Bantam Draft. You know, if you're not quite ready uh, during that. Time frame of your personal development—it's not the end of the world. And I love the fact that you mentioned there's many a player that have made it to the highest level of the game that were weren't just they weren't ready yet at that at that that age. The, the bantam draft, you know, everybody thinks is so critical. So I think there's a huge opportunity for organizations that really understand that, but also for parents and players who understand that sometimes it's a longer game. Um, there is a huge upside for being patient and in riding out the storm, right?
1: Oh, for sure. Like there's there. And, and at school here, I'll tell you, there's stories of kids that are, it's like, well, I didn't get drafted in a Bantam draft, so I'm, I'm going to quit hockey next year. It's like, don't quit hockey. I said, the Bantam draft, I said, it's important, but it's not the end of your hockey career if you don't get in a Bantam draft. I said, I can give you names of guys that didn't get drafted in a Bantam draft that got drafted in the NHL two years later. Right. Exactly. You know. Yeah. So,
0: and that's a huge message, Rick.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, exactly. But Stay in the game. Stay in the fight.
0: Uh, uh, absolutely right. All right. Well, Rick, listen, man, I really appreciate it. I think you're probably still jet lagged from uh, uh, the chip <laughs> trip over with the Japanese team. Listen, really appreciate you coming on here in such short Thanks. notice as we head into the hockey season. So great to have you on the show again. Awesome.
1: Thanks, Jeff. Really appreciate the opportunity.
0: There you go. Mr. Rick Carrier, what a wealth of knowledge right there. So great. We could get him on at this time of the year, you know, with the NHL playoffs, just humming along hockey players heading into their off season, but You know, if you listen to this conversation, this goes well beyond the game of hockey and perhaps even beyond sport. There are implications here for human performance, which is really something you guys know that we love because those parallels, they're out there. We know it. We've talked about it before. But one of the things that really resonated with me here in our conversation with Rick today was this idea of simplicity. You know, I really, really do get concerned sometimes that we try to make it way too complicated. It is not a very complicated system. There are complicated things inside of this world of sport and human performance and player development. Don't get me wrong. I totally understand and appreciate it. But if we get caught up in the complicated stuff and it gets to the point where it's detracting us from actually getting the job done and progressing in terms of our development, then we're not doing ourselves any good. I think the job of the performance team is to siphon out all the garbage for the players and their support staff. For young players, the player and their family. For the older players, if they're married, for the older players' career sake and of course the family he's trying to provide for. But to get rid of all the crap because you can't do it alone here. And that's why I just I love talking to experts like Rick Carrier. You know, he has contributed so much to the game of hockey and player development and athlete development and coaching development globally. It's incredible. And and and, and Take some of these messages from today's conversation and just contemplate them. And the one thing I would just encourage everybody is to get back down to the fundamentals. We're missing so much. We start so far down the line trying to get ahead of everybody else that it really does more often than not set us back. You know, you guys are probably getting sick of hearing it from me, but I am just a Huge believer in this ceiling of potential, whatever that might be for you personally. Here's what I do know, and this is, I think, proven time and time again, not just in my personal experiences, but also in the sports science, that when you try to take a shortcut, you often lower the ultimate ceiling of potential you have. We need to get back to the basics, make sure those fundamentals are established right from the get-go this, in this whole concept of long-term development, but also annually. For our players. Listen, when we get our pro football players into their offseason, yes, they get some downtime, no structured training, a really important phase early in the offseason. Okay? It doesn't mean you get to sit on a couch and do nothing or sit on a beach and do nothing. It means you get to sit on that beach or get to sit on that couch. maybe a little more than you would during your competitive season, but you also have to stay active. But it's not structured. It's not programmed. It's going out and maybe doing things That you just want to do, like going walking with your family, going walking the dog, going for a hike, maybe something that's not structured, but early in the off season, as an example for our pro football players, from our quarterbacks to our offensive linemen, to our special teams guys, to our wide receivers, running backs, regardless, even our, even our kickers, regardless of the position, as we get back into the training mode in the off season, we get everybody into a fundamental body weight circuit. And depending on the player and their injury history from the previous year or a couple years, that'll determine how long we actually have them on that body weight circuit. And listen to me, there's very few players who can get through that circuit when they start. And trust me, we start it fairly watered down and easy. And then we build it up, build it up before we start attacking some of the performance training we need to get ready for the following season. And we do that pretty much for every single sport, that type of philosophy just to give you an idea. But I think everybody wants to try to jump the front of the line to get ahead of the other guys. And it, I'm just telling you, it rarely, rarely, rarely works. Unless unless it's, the, it's a decision you and your team make, like strategically. Maybe there's something you could skip over at a certain point in time to maybe get some experience. Or maybe, even maybe more importantly, maybe there's something you just forget about and, and you take, Two, three steps back, reestablish something so you can jump ahead in the future. That takes a wealth of knowledge. You know, the average athlete can't make those decisions. The experienced athletes can be a huge part of those conversations. And that's why I love working with the pro guys, because they have such a perspective of where they're at and perhaps what they need to do to not only get better, but maybe even create longevity in their careers, depending on where they're at in their careers, right? But for a young sporting family, a young athlete, you just don't have the knowledge on your own to make those critical decisions. I think a great example that I can think of here, there's actually a couple, but the one that really jumps out at me is going back to Tiger Woods, okay? And if you remember, uh, boy, this would have been before the car accident and before all of his off, course shenanigans that really derailed his career but he was on top of the world as a golfer okay and despite all that other garbage that finally derailed his his career um he was by far number one and he was continuing to rise but the interesting thing was at the very pinnacle of his career he decided to take a step back and reestablish his grip he was the number one golfer in the world doing the best unstoppable but still looking for ways to get better? Come on now. That is, for me, the true sign of a pro. But not only that, he was willing to potentially take a step back and explore something that might work out. Maybe it doesn't. But if you remember, he went and got a new hitting coach or a new coach to help him out on this one uh, aspect of his game, and they decided they needed to change his grip in order to harness uh, untapped potential in his golf game. And it actually really set him back. I believe it was for two or three months. We'd have to go back to the golf experts on that one. But I think it really sort of set him back two or three months. This was strategically timed or, you know, around all the majors, of course. Uh, but it really did set his game back. But, but what, a, what a bold thing to do as the number one golfer in the world. Go back and try to change one of the fundamental parts of your game that could either work out or not work out. I love it. But that's what I'm talking about here, trying to make those decisions. And that's why the other thing that Rick said here about being deliberate and making that investment in your future performance is really important. But it has to be intentional. It has to serve a purpose. And it has to happen at the right time. Timing is everything here. It kind of goes back to this theory revolving around the sigmoid curve or this S-curve where you have learning. And then you have growth and development and your performance peaks. And then if things don't change too much, you plateau. And then eventually there's a decline. And if you think about it, that kind of describes the ebb and flow of everything we know, right? You're brand new. You learn. You start developing. Then you start connecting the dots and performance starts to happen. And if changes aren't made, you plateau. And eventually, if nothing new exciting happens you decline and fall off. The same process for athlete development, organizational, team performance. you got to know when to get out. you got to know when to make changes. And this is what the best businesses, the best teams, the best organizations do. And this is the decisions that the best athletes make. They do across the board. Now, some of the decisions are made out of desperation. And sometimes there are shots in the dark. But for the most part, if you have an understand of that ebb and flow, you can really, really make some good decisions, and it's all part of maximizing the time that you have based on where you're currently at. So just a, a really important concept for everybody to think about as you work your way through your sporting career. It doesn't matter if you're a 10-year veteran of professional sports, if you're just starting your professional career, if you're in the developmental rank still trying to find your way, chasing down your dream, or if, even if you're just a recreational athlete, if you're a business owner, teacher, these principles are just how it works. It's just how it works. And getting back to Rick's conversation, this whole idea, like the main takeaways, the simplicity and the effectiveness and the power of keeping things simple and make sure you're just covering the fundamentals. Check number one. Check number two, make sure everything you do has intent. Make sure it's meaningful. Ah, it's just great stuff. I have to thank Rick Carrier for joining us today. I want to thank you guys for tuning in as well. Again, comments on today's show, let us know. Info at Crush Performance is the email. Uh, If you have topics you'd like us to investigate, also let us know. But maybe more importantly, share this episode with people you know. Man, there's only one way to improve performance, and that's to improve the performance of the people around us, right? Because it's a team effort across the board, no matter what you're doing. Nobody does it alone. Okay, great conversation today. I totally enjoyed that coming up next week. Let's continue our discussion on athlete player development. Also, coming up in the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the connection between the brain and the body. Going back to our 2021 theme of the Crush Brain Game, there is irrefutable evidence pointing to the fact that aerobic exercise physically remodels our brains for peak performance. How can we use exercise to get ready for peak performance? Part of your warm-up strategies, part of your regular training strategies, and could exercise be one of the our best defenses against everything from mood disorders to Alzheimer's, to ADHD to body composition and our ability to learn. Stay tuned because all of that and much, much more is on deck in the upcoming weeks here on Crush Performance. Until then, everybody, get out there. Have a great, great week. Go out, get a little bit better. And remember, we're here to help you think like an athlete. Goodbye now. Don't
1: forget to ride.